in my 30s, I went through two years where I like put a ton of money into buying Barbies and playing Barbie every day and dressing oh, up. Oh, I love this. Yeah, every day. And, and then it was, and it was so creative and I would make my best friends play with Barbie and they were always surprised at how fun it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks let the phone ring while they take off that long, dangly statement earring because no matter who's calling, they can wait. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame. I almost popped an eardrum with that one to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. Ooh. Right now, I not right now, but these days, I am pet-sitting two cats and a dog. I am abroad, you might say, across the city in what truly feels like a, a separate urban experience, a suburban experience. Uh, it reminds me of my childhood. I am from a suburb where uh, people gravitate towards strip malls like moths to a bare bulb. And that is what happens in a suburb, except this time I don't have a family there. I have, as I said, two cats and a dog. The dog has, at best, high anxiety. Uh, and the cat, uh, they're very different. One really could not be bothered with me, is pretty independent. The other, geriatric uh, and requires pills and puffers. But that's fine. And you know what? These are the, the pets of the people from the Sonar Network, the beautiful network who produces this podcast and broadcasts this podcast to the world. Um, I hope you're listening because that was not a slam. I love your pets. I love them. And it's my pleasure to re-enter the suburbs and give them what they want uh, from me, which is low energy, which is uh, a dullness <laughs> that I am settling into as I age that I think really suits the vibe. But I bring this up because normally I record my intro the night before my podcast is released. Why, you might be asking? Why not uh, be lazier? Well, first of all, it's simply not in my nature to cut a corner, uh, but also because what if something happens? I record my intro like a dunce and reference a bunch of things that no longer exist. So that's why I do it the night before so it's fresh. So if there was breaking news that day, I can mention it. I mean, imagine I had recorded this uh, before the queen passed away. And I make some dumb queen joke. And then, uh, you know, God knows what happens. The monarchy finally takes me down. I really don't care. I don't care about the monarchy. I'm so sorry. I know there a lot of people have a strong sort of emotional but cosmic connection with these very rich people. 
And that's fine. That is for you. My relationship to the monarchy primarily is once we went on a family vacation to London, England, because part of my family is from England. And my mom was in this habit of entering contests for us anytime there was like a sweepstake at a supermarket or in a candy bar wrapper or on a cereal box, she would fill it out and send it in. So odds are, of course, we would win sometimes. And when we went on this trip to England, we saw this enormous stuffed teddy bear, like six feet tall, dressed like a beef eater, like sort of a changing of the guard, black hat, red regalia thing. It was a thousand pounds. That's how much this dumb teddy bear cost. And lo and behold, when we got home from London freaking England, guess what was in our living room? That exact same bear because we won it from some contest and whoever was feeding our cats brought it into the house. Uh, so that monarchy I'm here for. Six feet tall stuffed bear variety. If Winnie the Pooh is the next queen, I might change my tune. But for now, I really think it is the sort of death rattle of an old colonial ghost. And, and, and hey, and I'm not shaming that. I'm just saying... Things live their life and then they die. And we can honor that <laughs> they're passing and move on. That's, you know what, that's enough. I really don't need to wade into those waters, uh, especially because my guest has a close and personal connection to that funeral and that queen, which I'll mention in a second. Have I just, have I just canceled myself out of this episode? I mean, I guess if I have one privilege as a host, it should be that. The ability to cancel myself. But anyway, <laughs> here we are. I'm recording this a few days before. If something major happened... Oh, that was my point. I'm recording this now because this is my chance to be in my home studio. I'm all the way across in the suburbs normally, so I thought I would take a Saturday to do it. If something happens between Saturday and Wednesday that invalidates this, please excuse me. That was a really long and and overwhelmingly boring way to tell you, uh, hi, this is a podcast. Apparently, I've been doing this for almost 50 episodes. You sure wouldn't know it. You sure wouldn't know it. Look at the baby deer legs that I walked into this episode with, but certainly not my guest, because my guest has the legs of a thoroughbred. Ladies, am I right? My guest today is... Mark Tewksbury, wait a minute, Canadian Olympic swimmer Mark Tewksbury, gold medalist Mark Tewksbury, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's my guest. And so let's learn a little bit about Mark from a mishmash of primary sources, including my friend and yours, Wikipedia. <clears throat> Mark Tewksbury is a Canadian former competitive swimmer, although I'm sure he still paddles around in a pool from time to time. Mark is best known for winning the gold medal in the 100-meter backstroke at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. That's not the only medal he has, but that's the one he got the most glow for. In 1992, my swimming career, uh, I'd almost finished the badge. In Canada, we have this series of gradiated color badges you move through to become a lifeguard, and I stopped like two before because... Um, I didn't want to change <laughs> with the rest of the boys. I was too shy, and so I quit swimming. Who knows? Maybe I could have been at the 2022 
Barcelona Olympics. But back to Mark. Mark also made the cover of Time magazine for this big gold medal win. He was inducted into the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame, the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, and the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And and because there's more, was named Canada's Male Athlete of the Year. In 2020, he became a companion of the Order of Canada, and most recently you may have seen him shoulder to shoulder with, oh, I don't know, goddess Sandra Oh, as part of the Canadian delegation attending Queen Elizabeth II's state funeral, uh, which is why I cancelled myself. Why did I bring up all that Queen stuff? Maybe I just got nervous. It's fine. Relevant to this podcast, in 1998, Tewksbury officially came out as gay and subsequently lost a six-figure contract as a motivational speaker because he was, and I quote, too openly gay. Well, now we know what people who say that can do with their thoughts and opinions and where to put them. But this just gives you a peek into sort of Mark's ethics, moral compass, and sort of general ethos in relationship to the world, which you will learn about in this episode. He's a beautifully principled person, which is just one of the things I admire so much about Mark. In addition to his candor and vulnerability and sense of humor and the way he holds himself to a high regard, sort of to a high standard, yet doesn't take himself too seriously. He is all of those beautiful contradictions and more. He's also very funny and a little bit flirty. Can I say that? It's fine. Uh, I really think you're going to love this episode. I loved this episode. What a privilege to talk to Mark. Really someone who I think sort of moved the needle with queer visibility in Canada and the world, and certainly in the sports world, which I know absolutely nothing about. So buckle up, as they say at the Olympics. Don your golden royal monarchist buckles oh no oh no and uh and listen let's have a good time because mark and i are about to please enjoy my conversation with the lovely olympic gold medalist mark tewksbury you You know i mean you you're on camera all the time you don't seem like the kind of person who's uh who gets camera shy um yeah i guess but i also believe in the phone and communicating via voice and you know depending i teach and tell stories via zoom but sometimes in interviews you don't necessarily have to see the person no 100 percent. and uh it's the fatigue is real the fatigue is real and i mean you know i showered <laughs> like all, <laughs> all of those things right. i'm still living kind of in you know i liked a little bit of the um isolation, I guess, uh, and staying home and the mm-hmm. routine that the pandemic forced upon us. So I'm still kind of living a little bit more in that space. Yeah, I know. Like, would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert if you had to choose? Um, you know, I'm fluid. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Beautiful. I really, I really am. I'm like, I very much enjoy to a point and then I need to retreat being out and in and 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 either way you know a couple of days inside I need to ah, do something and too much out I need to have some time alone I'm the same as you uh Myers Briggs which is a, a contested test but I I flip between introvert and extrovert uh depending on when I take it so yeah like you need the little you get the charge of <laughs> I don't know human contact and then you go back in the cave 
we're full of contradictions. I mean, I, I love that about human beings, about like I teach leadership. And I think that embrace contradictions is like your get out of jail free card. <laughs> You're allowed to kind of, as long as you can pro- provide a rationale and, you know, don't like totally break from values. I think that we're just full of nuances. And on one hand, I can be really shy and get embarrassed and, and you know, want to retreat. And in other ways, I'm super enthusiastic and very energetic. And both of those things are true. That's a really good point because I think about the times in my life where I gave myself so much grief over not becoming the absolute whatever, like I'm a this or I'm a that or I need to really shape up and be more. And then when I would have an off day and, you know, reveal myself to also be shy or also be loud and annoying or whatever and beat myself up. And you know what? I think that's harder for this next generation because for all the progressiveness they have they're really encouraged to brand themselves and think of who they are and i don't think that's how we work as people yeah and i mean in on one hand we had it easy because there was really no choice so we had to find like okay i'm I'm, there's one choice i'm not that so i must be something else right (laughs) Right. i'm not this but so but i mean what would have happened if they're like but you might be one of these 73 things yeah you know that when you think about uh, reality today so Every there's a high function and low function to everything, right? And, yeah, and interestingly, yeah. too much choice sometimes can be confusing. Oh my god, great point! And I think that is a good point in relation to queerness. In that, when you know, when you and I were coming up, uh, there you were either sort of the mainstream or you were off the menu. Straight, heterosexual. Straight, yeah, you know? we were just like, I know I'm not. I know I'm not what that one definition is and so we did have that freedom i guess to imagine for ourselves because there was no other guiding star anywhere i don't know if i imagined it that's interesting did i imagine it or did i experience it first like i guess i imagined it because i must have imagined it as a child like feeling affection well but did i just feel affection you know what do you mean affection well, let's say, like, did I imagine being homosexual or did I just feel affection towards certain bo- young boys when they were right. five or six? And I didn't imagine being gay, but I still was feeling the beginnings of man love. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there we go. I think we've I, there's so many segues I can grab. So which one will I take? Uh, why don't we, we but man loves too easy. So let's dial it back to, you know, when the things we imagine for ourselves or, or the things that are imagined for us. And, uh, you know, growing up, we were in a time where there was a single expectation. And then we found ourselves going the wrong direction you know if you think about a uh, a lazy river i'm gonna be as aquatic as i can for you mark please don't be, oh god, yeah. be, oh well, god. i did wear my little navy shirt so I'm, I'm wearing my nautical themed shirt so yes. i guess i came prepared i mean listen <laughs> podcast listeners cannot see but mark tewksbury just saluted uh with the navy <laughs> reference so yes you know so here i'll take this sometimes we're drafted into groups that we did not anticipate enlisting in and that's what happened with queerness because you know uh we didn't understand that too much chlorine in the public pool for example can make you queer right who knew (laughs) science knows now (laughs) we didn't know and that's why we're angry as hell and that's why i've invited you mark as an adult in a nautical shirt of your own choosing and also kind of like a, a helicopter pilot's 
headphone microphone set, which I'm very enamored by. Uh, uh, to point the finger of blame once and for all, Olympic gold medalist Mark Tewksbury, who and or what made you queer? Too much time with my grandmother. <laughs> oh. Actually, oh. just the right amount of time with my grandmother. She was yeah. so amazing. Can we get a name drop? Uh, sure, Grandma McDonald. Grandma McDonald. <laughs> yeah. Bless. Okay, Grandma so how, McDonald. I mean, you know, she, not how old were you when you met her, because she's always been there, but what's one of your earliest memories with Grandma McDonald? Yeah, Frida McDonald in real life. I knew her as Grandma McDonald. Um, well, I always went, so my parents had, um, my sister and I are both adopted, mm -hmm. and my mother then got pregnant like just a few months after we adopted colleen and so my brother and sister my biological bro uh, born brother scott is only about 15 or 16 months um younger than colleen wow and so right from pretty early i went to lethbridge when i was starting to be five and i'd spend time with my grandparents while kind of back home things got a little bit under control and that became a tradition that stayed until i was 14 years old Whoa. i went every summer i used to take so the greyhound bus down yeah. okay so your parents were like wow suddenly we have too many kids one more than anticipated so you got to go with the grandparents I think I was so keen to do it too. Like it was like, well, if Mark wants to go, I think probably what happened was my grandma said, you know, can Mark come home with us? And Aww. I said, please, mom, please, mom. And my <laughs> mom was like, okay, like we've got our hands full. And then that just became a thing. And then my grandpa died like when I was eight. And it really became a thing because I would definitely like go spend time. Both my grandparents, sets of grandparents were in Lethbridge. Okay. Um, but then after that, I would spend equal time, but maybe a day or two more with Grandma McDonald. Because Frida McDonald was living by herself at that point. She was living by herself. And that okay. was why that that's how it started to happen. Because then I shared a king-size bed. Then I saw the wigs <laughs> that she had up in her closet. Oh, yeah. Which at first scared me. But then yeah. she dressed me up in them and put on makeup. And I was serving tea to her friends. And it was so fun. Okay, how dare you blast through every single one of those is a story I want to hear. So first, let's go to these wigs. Were they on like styrofoam mannequin yeah, heads? Oh, uh, yes. Exactly, exactly what they and, were. And they were actually kind of scary. Like it was, yeah. I, I remember the closet being really tall. And actually, if you go in some apartments today and you see the floor-to-ceiling slider, you know, it was a smaller apartment on Mayor McGrath Drive in Lethbridge, Alberta. And well, it was a, dress a drop. big high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and But it was scary. It was like, uh, because there was like three or four of them. Yeah. And, but she showed me what they were. And then, you know, well, they did you find them first anymore. on your own or did yeah, I saw them from the bed and, and I woke you were up. like, hang on a minute. I was like, Mama, what's in the, what's in there? They were dark and it they looked like, like heads. severed heads. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. what are the range of looks for Grandma McDonald? Well, she had the same color, but very, yeah, very, actually two different colors and then sort of a very sensible kind of, you know, part to one side and down. Okay, and like a swept bang situation? Like a swept bang situation. Okay. And then one more up, like that was just, you know, a little bit more formal. Okay, great. Yeah. For like a, oh, oh, you know, like a garden a, party or a... Yeah, and, okay. and, you know, one of them, the hair came down and you could really play with, and the other one was a little bit more set. Okay, gotcha. But they were all sort of short. Like there was no like they long really Rapunzel-like no, braid. No, <laughs> nothing like that. They were yes. very, yeah, they were very sensible. I mean, but for me, for you know, and especially the one that you could play with a little bit, that one became my favorite over time, of course. Right. So <laughs> which, so how did we get from what are those severed heads in the closet to little Mark wearing a wig? 
Oh, it happened immediately. So we oh, she was good with it. She was, well, that morning she did it. She was like, let's all show you. And she took it off and put it on her. And see, that's how grandma gets pretty. Oh, wow. And then I was like, oh, and then she said, let's try you. And she said, yes. oh, you're so pretty too. And off we went to breakfast with, you know, maybe, I don't remember. I'll probably put the wigs back because they were quite precious. But yeah, it right. became a thing. Sure. Right. And the, uh, yeah, I'm sure they were not cheap. But also like you, you said, Five or six at this age? I would have been eight. No, because my grandpa, I went when I was young, but my grandpa, oh, my grandpa died when I was eight years old. So probably okay. when I was more like nine years old. Okay. So, so you would put them back as Lethbridge, you know, as progressive as, as I may have become at this point in time. Uh, at that point, you probably weren't wearing a pussycat wig to Golden Grill. <laughs> no, okay. I didn't really know what it was. So at that time, it was totally harmless. Playful of course, fun. as and it I all could be. As it all could be. But, you know, interesting. Are, are we ready to jump or you want to stay here for a second? Oh, my, listen, you are in the driver's seat. Where do we jump to? <laughs> uh, well, when I started to imagine my sexuality, interestingly, I was dressed as a woman. Because oh, wow. I think now it makes sense that society was man and woman. So I was attracted to men. So somehow, you know, I must right. look like this. Yeah. So I would keep dressing and, and some of these things and grandma would give me old dresses and things uh, like into yes. my teenage years. Yeah. I had a bag that was like to be destroyed that my best friend was going to come. Right. If anybody ever, if I died and anybody had to go into my bedroom. The secret frocks. <laughs> so, so she really knew, like, did she question, Hey Mark, why do you want to wear my, my gowns all the time? Or was she just like, okay. She was so sweet. I mean, she just allowed me to be me, and I don't yeah. think she really thought anything about it. But, you know, as she got older, she started to unfortunately have very, very serious dementia. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, gosh, she would start to kind of inadvertently betray me by saying things at the table, you know, like of the things that we would do together and the dresses she gave me. And, right. Oh, it was, it was like, Oh, oh no, yeah. because your parents had no idea this was happening. No. And, and it was so special because I think queer folks too, you find the kind of like hideout in your life to discover who you are. And her house was just far enough away that it was sort of a satellite to experiment. Exactly. A really safe space, like, you know, two and a half hours on a bus. Ooh, oh it's a God. whole other world. It's perfect. You can wear any wig you want. But then exactly. that makes sense, right? She was your confidant and then she she couldn't she wasn't in control. She couldn't She couldn't be her own gatekeeper anymore. Right. Yeah. So was there a repercussion to that? You know, like Mark looks great in a, a thigh high boot at the dinner table or something. It was always you know, my family loved to not hear things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there was one or two bombs that didn't become bombs. Um, there were some moments, like, I remember, um, you know, I discovered, uh, like, Playgirl and uh -huh. Penthouse, and especially Penthouse had always a man in it somewhere. Oh, naked. did they? Like, by yeah. himself? Uh, so, no, but always with a woman. It was sure. so hot, right? And yeah. you'd see his ass, and maybe sometimes more. Yeah. And um, my aunt and uncle had these magazines, so I would bring them home, and um, and then I discovered Playgirl. Wait, wait, how did you bring them home? Did you like steal them from under the mattress? Yeah, but it wasn't a big deal. Like they were so open, they were super cool, and so like oh, I would wow. I would have hidden them. Yeah, I know I had these factions within my life 
that were really like their friends were nudists and like they were just a different they live in the Okanagan and they were farmer like they're just right. a different bless Okanagan bless them, right different people so I yeah. had these bastions of exposure to yeah. gender identity in this case sexuality yeah and so I I remember that I had like these magazines and I kept them at the bottom of my garbage bag because I thought no one's ever gonna look yes at the bottom of my garbage bag. And one day my dad was in my room going through the garbage bag. And I... For what reason? Well, because I had lost, he was the treasurer of the swim club and I had misplaced something and he was sure it must be in my garbage by mistake. I threw it away. Oh no. And I mean, I look back and my parents just must have thought I was an alien because my overreaction, my like, oh... I really just lost my mind to a degree that was completely out of proportion to the circumstance. To just pornography hidden in your room. Because that was there and I couldn't yeah. tell them the truth of why I was so like outraged that he was going through my garbage and offended. Oh, I see. You just I was just right. like how offended I was and how how dare he and like it was just so like and, right. and They're slamming like, doors about? and yeah. <laughs> oh was no. Like, wow. Oh, it's such a cringe because I get that where like uh, you're, you're so careful with those secrets and it feels like life and death that when someone gets close to it, you just lose your mind and they're like, a loser. sorry, we went through your garbage. Like ape shit crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, sorry, buddy, you lost something. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't anyway, go in your so, garbage again. Whoa. Yeah. But did, did he actually find the no, magazines? No, no he did okay. not. He did not, oh, but I was like shaking. And yeah, yeah, close calls. Do you know that's so funny? Because I remember we had dial-up internet uh, sort of early on when I was growing up, and I remember because I had no other access to anything. And sometimes you'd find like a cute, like back backyard dad from the Sears catalog or something, and like <laughs> rip that out. But I remember I had some pictures of like cute guys that I printed and put because I was also like a very like fastidious young queer kid printed and hole punched and put in a duotang um yeah i know Aww. bless in my like nightstand and i remember this blue duotang and that was my like if they found it i would be just be decimated so i'm sure they were anytime they got near that nightstand i would just be like get away <laughs> it's just like so scary because your truth can't be revealed oh my god oh my yeah god. so yeah. so i'm interested too about because you talked about sort of dressing up or imagining yourself gendered female because that's the only way your sexuality made sense. So that also sounds like that would be a lot to work through. I don't know. I made it. It made its way through. It made its yeah. way all the way through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been incredible. But you know what? That's a, a, a I think an important point is yeah. that um, you know we evolve as human beings if we yeah. allow ourselves to, and you know. I, I'm going to sit back after this interview and actually salute the openness I've had to kind of just go on that that journey and allow, you know, in my 30s, I went through two years where I like 
put a ton of money into buying Barbies and playing Barbie every day and oh, dressing up. I love up. this. Yeah, every day. And and then it was and it was so creative. And I would make my best friends play with Barbie and they were always surprised at how fun it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'd go to the dollar store to find scarves and like, yeah. you know, everything. And it was it was really fun. Was the idea kind of like you wanted to honor what you didn't get to do as a kid? Yeah, there was this yeah. taboo of Barbie in the bathtub was this big story in my life. And I just needed for some reason to do that and friends got me started and i thought yeah. like and then it was like i kind of dove in and it was amazing trevor because it it passed like it went through me yeah. and i think that's for many things like if you know i don't know maybe not everything but i think it's really healthy to be open to experiencing different things and you know it doesn't all have to be from some traumatic thing yes but just being open right so for whatever reason, like I loved drag. I, I'm so not so much into it. Like I don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race, and mm -hmm. I, I will. I've got one taped. But like in my in the '90s and '80s and '90s, it's a very important part of my life. First of all, for my own sexual uh, expression, I would say not identity. Mm -hmm. So now that I understand better the language. Thank you, new generation. Oh my God, thank you for teaching us. <laughs> I'd say it was yeah. my sexual expression, right? But it, it, or not my expression, but my kind of imagination of what mm. I would need to be. But I figured out, like, I, then I would connect with an actual guy mm -hmm. and be like, oh, okay, like, guys to guys is something too. I just never saw that anywhere in my life. You made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. And now, back to more You Made Me Queer. You made me queer! That's so funny. Hey, that's totally right, because it's only in the past few years that we have this, you know, we've had this language maybe, but our ignorance has uh, dissipated a little, and we understand gender expression and sexual identity and all these things are not the same thing, and uh -huh. there's really so much more we can be when we're not uh, just trying to imagine that one thing for ourselves. So I think that's so cool what you said, too. There's so much... I mean, these things that we don't even realize are taboo, maybe, you know, you're in your 30s, you're like, I'm an adult, I I don't live at home, like, I can go buy a doll if I want, but the fact that you were like, no, I'm really going to lean into this and see, I, just make sure there's nothing left there for me that feels forbidden. Totally. That's great. Because, totally. I mean, if you deferred that, you who knows, maybe that would haunt you till the your sunset years and you'd be living in some weird little like uh, Norman Bates style house with like dolls everywhere because you never got out of your system. Exactly. And so for me, the same is with kind of drag and the yeah. same is even with sexuality of like, you know, I, I have experienced many different um, points of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and evolved. And I think if I was in a monogamous, especially in this heterosexual model yeah. of, you know, like the way that my relationship is set up with my incredible partner of 14 years is that wow. it's impossible to cheat because that, that word wouldn't make sense in the relationship that we have with each other. Right. Right? Which is and such a great freedom, I think, that queer people have in that we are really, even still, we kind of are forced to define our own relationships because there's no real way that we're told is okay, like almost anything is going to be taboo or sort of breaking a rule. So we get we get to go, okay, well, I get to build this structure for myself. But what makes sense for me? Yeah, but the thing is, it's not just gay people. Like we, we've had to, I think the benefit, the, the actual funny irony is that all of the hard work that we did as teenagers 
if we live long enough, it actually comes back because yeah. we had to do that self-awareness and questioning and feel awkward and odd and find our way. Guess what? Most people feel that way within the confines, I believe, of these artificial structures that rule us. So does any human being really only want to have sex with one other human being their whole life. There are some human beings. They're mostly actually probably asexual. <laughs> because Maybe, or, yeah. or monogamous, you know, eight, like per one person. But for the most part, I believe, for, I believe this regardless of what your sexuality is, you own your sexuality, full stop. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm married to somebody. I, I've made a contract with you, great. I still own my sexuality. And within that, I think we need to negotiate what that means. It means, you know, I will have sex with you for the rest of my life. We may stop wanting to have sex with each other after seven years because we had sex 7,000 times. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> yes. you know, and yeah. but I still will love you. And we'll talk. Like, I own my sexuality. We're still married. This is how I'm going to express my sexuality. Yeah. Doesn't that to me? I'm not cheating on you. Mm -hmm. I'm not betraying you, right? Like, the, so there's a way to set up that conversation that I think is really important. And because that conversation was set up for me the right way, older yes. man in a relationship at 40 years old, I've had 14 years of being able to explore my sexuality and be in a loving relationship. It's so beautiful. And I think it goes back to what you said about not being afraid to surprise yourself and evolve and like honor what you want. And it's really at the end of the day, all about communication too. whatever rules or parameters you set. But that's something where I mean, as queer folks, we a lot of us have our midlife crisis at like 12. <laughs> so we do, we do have a little more time sometimes to develop that perspective if we do survive, like you said. I think it's, uh, you know, it's something that we have to look as real positive, real benefit. It's beautiful. So, <laughs> so now we know it gets better. We know how that Mark Tewksbury story is later on. So now let's dive back to when it was still a bit more like harried. So we had, uh, so you sort of lost a bit of that confidant with your Nana, like you said. And then you had that one friend, the is sort of the one who would burn the bag if something happened to you. Who is this friend and how do you how did you let them in on that secret? Yeah, my next door neighbor, Tyrell. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. So you know what it was really hard because like I was that kid that had fag written in the locker at school. Uh, and so that kind of thing roars through a community. So she was my neighbor. Yeah. But she was like four four years older than me. She was like first year I don't know where she was in her schooling, but she was like Older, drove, you know, I was junior high. Yeah. But somehow she, she was an artist, creative. She had gay people in her circle and we were just bound to come together. And so we, we became friends. She just felt like a safe space for you or like a, yeah. did she sort of like, did she make that explicit or you just knew she was cool? I forget how it evolved. For sure. Yeah. I forget how it started. For sure it was explicit. I mean, I went yeah. with her and had my first like gay kiss and gay sex at one of her parties in the wow. great exchange building in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> she made you queer. Yeah. <laughs> she made me queer, actually. She kind of did. Yeah. She was my gateway to the culture scene, you know, yeah. like, which was also very safe for me because I was a jock. Right. Um, what a hard place to be in. In Alberta as a jock, a closeted jock. Yeah, but like her friends, like they, her friends didn't know my friends <laughs> for yeah, the most but, part yeah. until that started to happen. And mm -hmm. that was a, a bit of a, a pain. <laughs> a how bit of a did challenge. that, 
Yeah, how do they, what do you mean? How do they start to know your friends? Your, your secrecy circle always gets broken, huh? I know, like a photographer that I had sex with was uh, like best friends with one of the volleyball players' girlfriend. Damn. And so Mark Tewksbury is a fag. What? Like, yeah, that, that. And, but you know what? That was in the air for a long time. Yeah. But people, it's interesting. A, I think people really liked me. You know, I was, yeah. I'm a likable person. Yeah. I'm pretty humble. Like I'm not an asshole. I'm not a dick. Um, I never have been. I, I love my team. We all were really accomplished people. And I think mm -hmm. that level of respect for each other and sameness, I don't know, allowed them to hear things, but not pay, you know, not go too deep with it. Right. But yeah, I kind of dodged that fag in the air and trying to ha fake having a girlfriend and all that yeah, kind did, of did you have a fake girlfriend when that was going on oh it all, tried all the <laughs> time bless them and would have a boyfriend in la that was an older woman i was dating and right. like, you know all this stuff let's yeah. give one more salute to all the the fake i don't want to call them <laughs> transitional partners but like i know when we're just like i just our need allies to it was our actually allies. our ally it was a big ally and even if it was a fake ally Thank you for, you know, just, I don't know, allowing us to find a way to survive. A hundred percent. Yeah, I hope they can look back on that and not just be like, that was traumatizing, but be like, oh, I provided like an essential service. <laughs> totally. Frontline worker. In 1980, in the gay world, that was. 18, oh. In 1990s, for sure. That's a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so where, I don't want to jump the gun. Tell me if there's something in between, but you said it got more difficult sort of as people kept connecting the stories. And then as you sort of became more known, that probably got more and more difficult. You know, I think, I don't know, the higher you rise, the more narrow focus things become and the more mm. siloed your life becomes. Mm. So no, it was actually, I mean, it might've been in the air, but it, I just, just starting to get better and better my career. I needed to tell somebody became the, the, the point. I needed to actually share my secret yep. if I was going to win the Olympics. And so I need, I found somebody, I found a coach. I told people, but never somebody in a position of authority, never, you know, where I really could lose my livelihood. Yeah. And it, it was great. It was a, a woman. She's my business partner to this day, Debbie Muir. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it was the moment in my life that was like the total game changer. She was the ally, capital A. Yeah. And um, it, it was the beginning of my trajectory. And did you just need to tell someone for, you mean, purely psychological reasons? Well, that, but also like physical. Like you're actually, I could do an exercise with you where, you know, if you're negative and feeling like there's a lie, you're physically weaker. Right. And if I came behind you and you had told the truth and were strong, I wouldn't be able to budge you. And how could I get the physical best out of myself if wow. I was carrying this feeling inside? So I had to get that out. Wow, that's so huge. I mean, we, there's a lot of research on that, certainly how the psychological and the physiological connects. But so interesting that you were like, if I'm going to accomplish this goal that, I mean, you're probably spending most of your waking hours training for, you couldn't carry a secret like that. Oh, oh my God, I have so much empathy and compassion for that that young person. How scary that must have felt. 
well, it was it was time. You know, I yeah. couldn't carry that anymore. That's also why I came out publicly in 1998, you know, mm. like that was still late after I finished swimming. And at that time, I was like, oh, he's been retired for six years. Like, like it was, it was like kind of underplayed. It's always yeah. like, oh, do we have to talk about this? Even from the get-go, right. even the very first time it was like, Mark, 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 we love you, but why do we have to, this is your personal, like it's always been that. That's like, right. It shouldn't be our business. From, it shouldn't be yeah. our business. From the day one people still say this today they try to underplay oh are we still talking about this it's the first trans gold medalist yeah we are (laughs) actually 100 (laughs) and it's funny because it's like hey y'all you set up the paradigm where in a heteronormative world you assumed what everyone is and that's why we have to constantly shout back and say actually (laughs) you're wrong I don't have a wife at home. I don't whatever, whatever. So, I mean, it's not, but it's so funny, hey, how it's painted sometimes like, you won't stop talking about your sexuality or your gender identity. (laughs) It is a lot, but it's because there was zero for so long. Sorry, that's the, that's kind of how it goes. It's the floodgates opened. Absolutely. And then I know you said you were doing that for you. You, of course, and also I want to acknowledge how funny it is that, when you said whatever age, when they're like, you're long retired, like in pro sports, things like swimming or dancing, where by what, like mid 20s, you're. Yeah, I was retired at 24. I was 30 years old coming oh, out. Oh my God. Still involved in international sport, you of know, and, and leadership. I, I wish I stepped away from shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um, because it just made, you know, it wasn't pleasant. But um, yeah. But it was interesting, you know, because I'd come out, I had so much credibility. Yeah, 100%. It it was, you know, one wouldn't think, but once you get, again, once the floodgates open, once the truth is out, there's no going back. There's no putting the toothpaste back into the toothpaste holder. No, toothpaste (laughs) only goes one way, Mark. Uh, And, um, (laughs) you know, it it was interesting. Like, like for sure, probably part of my life just fell away for a while. Mm. Like, for sure, the Olympic movement just went bye-bye. Of my choosing, right? It was just like, it was too much. Me being gay, kind of at sport leadership at the highest level. It was so homophobic. It was so, you know, ethically questionable (laughs) at at best. That's putting it nicely. Yeah. Um, It just wasn't a healthy place for me to be. Um, And there wasn't really as, like, there was no, hey, that's the place, safe place to be. I had to find that. You know, if the circumstance isn't there, create it and so i had to create it for myself in 1998 and it took me some while but the gay world opened up it was really interesting yeah yeah but it sounds like through the life experiences you've told me you've always been pretty aligned towards that idea of you've really sound like you've got it figured out and that you knew you needed these spaces you had something in you you've always really wanted to honor and you found these spaces to let that happen it just sounds so I don't want to call it smooth. I do want to say a little smooth, but it just really sounds like you had a good trajectory with it all. It's been pretty rocky in a way, because, but it's it's always worked out. But it's like, I've always, not always, but often somehow, like, listen, I, I left Canada in 1994 at the height of my fame. I was on the cover mm-hmm. of Time. I had a lot of clothing at Sears. I left and immigrated to Sydney, Australia. I bought a one-way ticket. My agent was like, you're crazy. Like, you will never work again. (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing? Like, honestly, honestly, like, you know, I put the price of my speech down. Mm. And they said, if you put a spray, you'll never speak for whatever again. 
Well, it's, it's nice pieces of gun, like, you know, it's gone all over. Yeah. I left Canada AM to move to Montreal. If you move to Montreal, your life isn't like it. That became a new chapter of my life that was more interesting. And like, yeah. I've always gone kind of against what, what people said you should do. And yeah, it hasn't worked out maybe like, no, I didn't have a huge broadcasting career like I might have had had I stayed in Toronto, which probably I wouldn't have had. And look what happens at the end of it to Lisa LaFlamme anyway. Like, really? Like, you know, I'm, what did I miss, right? What did I, I mean, miss? God, no, truly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that loyalty is not rewarded, certainly. No. But have you, have you, I mean, you, you've got a strong gut, it sounds like. Have you always kind of had that voice inside you that you knew you needed to trust? Or did you doubt that voice? Oh, I doubt it for sure. But I guess I honestly don't know, Trevor. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I guess it's part God. It's part instinct. It's part emotive. I'm very emotional. I'm very energetic. I'm mm. quite spontaneous. Yeah, it's a lot of different stuff, I guess. But I'm also, yeah. I I, I used to do things like I got a boyfriend in Berlin. I'll have a long day and go back and forth. Like I wouldn't do things like that anymore. I don't think. Like I'm a little more grounded. I hear you loud and clear, though. And yeah. I think if that's in your spirit, it's good to honor that. I certainly have made some, like, hard left turns off the highway when I'm like, <laughs> just trust me. Worst case scenario, it's going to be a great story later. you got to do it. If that's who you are, you have to do it. I think you have to. So I've, I've been really lucky that way. Like, I've, um, you know, it's funny. I've worked my whole life. And, and mm. in a way, I haven't. Like, I've had lots of, of time. Mm. I, I, I have lots of my own time. And that's like being kind of semi-retired. I think that's what retirement is, working as much as you want, having as I don't think it's all money or travel. Like you, you should, if you want money, you should probably get that before you retire. And if you want to travel, yeah. you should definitely do it before you retire. Oh my God. Before, while you can, while, while, like, your while your body still can do yeah. it. Exactly. So like, I think those are kind of misperceptions about what, what retirement is. Mm-hmm. So retirement for me, like I define it by that time. And so it's allowed me to kind of, do things like follow my path or if somebody invites me and there's an interesting and the conditions are right i'll go right like it's it's allowed for lots of adventures life is quite normal like day to day but when you put those all those adventures together it sounds like such a big exciting life well listen i'll take that exciting thing and just go with uh you mentioned australia olivia newton john or kylie minogue if you had to choose I mean, R.I.P. Olivia. For me, it's easy. Yeah, it's Olivia. But Olivia and John, for sure. I think my partner would probably be Kylie, but I would love to ask him that. That would be a really tough one for him. Yeah, do not put words in his mouth. <laughs> but I think, I, I don't know. We have like, I believe seven Olivia Newton-John albums. Yes. <laughs> or like on vinyl? Are you on old vinyl. school? Yes. Yeah, on vinyl. So. That's like, that's all sexuality side, whatever you do or you like. If you have that many Olivia Newton-John albums, you are queer. You're queer. That is, she, made, she made him queer, obviously. I think she, Farrah Fawcett made him queer. Oh my God, Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> so much blonde hair. I, I would, see, my knee jerk is to go Kylie, but then I think of Xanadu and I'm like, you uh, can't fight Xanadu. And even like her early country stuff. Like oh, it's, yeah. let me see it in the morning. Let me see. <laughs> Come on. <Yes>. Anyway. <laughs> so, what have we but, started? Uh, yeah, I know. Never mind. Terrible. Really oh, not. so we're blaming Olivia a little bit for you too, I think. Maybe a little bit, for sure. Maybe a little bit. Or maybe John Travolta in Greece. Oh, bless. Is that your? Is that one of your types? 
Well, I mean, it was just hot at the time, right? Sure. It wasn't, I don't know if that's a type, especially knowing John Travolta now. Right, but, right. Uh, but freeze him moment, in time. Let's freeze him in time and <laughs> yeah. put me back there too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty, pretty smoking in that movie from what I remember. Everyone's just very, like, slick and grease-haired and uh, white. But, you know, what can you do? It was the time. It was the time, Mark. Uh, so, anything else you want to blame? Because chronologically, the last thing we hit was, I think, you and that neighbor and then sex with photographers. <laughs> <laughs> no, and having to come up. Me, the Olympics made me hit. That's right. Oh, I they, 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 make, they had to make me declare it so that I could That's win. That's right. The Olympics made you. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> made they, me I, more openly gay, actually. Like, really, right? They made me more truly, openly gay. Truly. And they yeah. kind of. And now in return, I made the Olympics more gay. <laughs> oh when, the, when I have the Olympic Committee come on the show, they're going to blame you for making them queer. Well, you know, the, like, the stat from Tokyo was staggering. Like, Team LGBTQ. I think we were like top eight in the medal count, like which is like yes. a, a, if they were a country, right? So that's fairly formidable when you we think about like the level of LGBT, LGBTQ plus athlete that's at it's the incredible. Olympic Games. It's like some of the best athletes in the world in our community. So definitely the Olympics are more gay now. Oh my God, I love that. Also, can you imagine where it's like everyone is represented by a country, but all queer identifying folks just have to go on their own team? Queer nation. Queer nation at the Olympics, taking it by storm. Wouldn't that be wild? Oh, that's that might be the next phase of your career. <laughs> that might just... be my next. I'll advocate for a seat at the IOC for queer nation. <laughs> that's right, queer nation. Oh my God, just think. Uh, just think of the outfits. That's quite fun that we stumbled upon that. I'll have to start at the United Nations. Oh my God! There's, <laughs> that, there's, that might be a tougher sell. There's work to be done. Yeah, I know they might be a bit slower. Uh, well, it sounds yeah. like you've you were about to start something serious, so I don't want to take too much more of your time. But Mark, before I let you go, would you like to play a game? Of course. Oh, thank God! This game is called Queer Queerer Queerist. Queerer Queerist. Oh, okay. Good, appropriate response. So I'm going to give you three <laughs> things. Your job is to put them in order. I'm, my brain's going. Oh, yeah. Okay. So put them in order oh, okay. from, oh, fun. Okay. from okay. least queer to most queer and tell me why. You've got it. Okay. Okay. Thing number one, and you're going to have to excuse me once you realize the theme, but I like low-hanging fruit. So oh, first thing, <laughs> the jellyfish float. Do you know what this float is? Okay. Yeah. Also known as the survival float. Uh, yeah. It involves like holding your ankles with your hands when you get a cramp. Yeah. Okay, that's thing number one. If you don't know what that is, I, hopefully I painted a picture. Uh, thing number two, the 1963 film Flipper. <laughs> about a young boy who befriends a slick, hairless dolphin. Everyone's favorite. Beautiful theme song as well. Uh, the, thing number three, pool noodles. Long, hollow, styrofoam, bendy noodles. All colors available at your local supermarket <laughs> a lot of the time. So your three things to reiterate, uh, to recap, Jellyfish Float, the 1963 film Flipper, and Pool Noodles, least to most queer and why. Pool noodles first. I mean, they're gay, but it's just a big long. The joke ends fast. The big oh, thing between right. your legs. Ha ha ha. Too obvious. Second is the uh, the the jellyfish um, 
what's it called? This the first jellyfish thing? float. Jellyfish float. Yeah. yeah, that's gay. You know, you're getting yourself. You're, you're you're ready. You're it's ready pretty for ankle holy. Yeah, that's pretty queer. But but flipper is just like. It's like oozing. <laughs> it's so gay. Now, it's did so you watch boring. this as a as a youth? Yeah, I mean, it just oozes sweetness and little boy. Yeah, it's it's so gay, but in a in old school gay too, right? Like, kind of covers yeah. both. Like, it's a gay sensibility because of the way it is, but it's also like so happy and gay. It's so happy, and it's it makes me think of you and and Frida or Gar- Grandma Frida was that her name? <laughs> because Frida, it's Frida. yeah, like a young child who's like I don't quite fit in with the people around me, but this non this person out of my group in this case happens to be a dolphin like we connect they get me oh yeah that's so the nicest sweet. case story yeah it's the I most mean, it's the most uh meaningful it is meaningful and who knows who knows what happens i mean dolphins don't have a super long lifespan so i'm sure that friendship uh didn't go too too far but you know it was a, a great coming of age story thanks for the kill buzz and the buzz <laughs> sorry. kill sorry Trevor, the buzz yeah. kill flipper died shortly after filming rap no i'm sure flipper's fine oh, that was a fun day Oh my god, thank you so much. Well, just let me check the score. Uh, so you said most queer was Flipper. So one, two, three. Congratulations, Mark. 100%. You are, in fact, a queer person. Yay! <laughs> the results are in. I needed it verified today. I was really, I woke up questioning. <laughs> I mean, you did an essential service. I performed an essential service. If you're ever in doubt, just look at your vinyl collection. God do knows. Do you want to play a game? Oh my god, do you have a game for me? Real quick? Yeah. yeah. Oh, just, just maybe answer the question. Okay. It's a tough one. If I sleep with a woman, uh-huh. does that make me straight? Okay, great question. So I think... Me what, as in Mark Tewksbury. Yeah, yeah, you as in Mark Tewksbury. I think the the sex you have and the way you identify can be correlated or don't have to be. That's up for you to decide. That's a fabulous, like, excellent, very educated answer. Thank you. Very, yeah. very good. Yeah, I think so too. And in fact, more than likely, yeah. depending on the, you know, if I would, have, I want a follow-up question, I would have said. <laughs> yeah. Frequent yeah. or once? <laughs> <laughs> right. How, how often is this happening? How often is this happening? You know what, that's funny, because I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had a friend who, I think she may have identified as a lesbian at the time, I'm not sure, but then she had a crush on this guy, and I remember her having to gather her friends and basically, like, kind of d come out in her terms and she was like some of my queer friends were really disappointed and they didn't understand it and that's one of the reasons i love using this word queer is because it's like queer is an algebraic equation and tomorrow morning when i wake up i can decide if it means something else yeah interesting you know that's funny people some people have such adverse reactions to the word queer like they take it very offensively i I get and i get it yeah because it was such a pejorative term for a long time interesting and some straight people too they just find it like very i don't like that i know and you know it's funny when i i used it in front of my mom bless my mom very catholic the first time when i said you know as a queer person blah 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 she was like i thought we weren't supposed to use that word and i don't like it when you use it and i was like no i get that i get that wow it's my word yeah. yeah, good. Good for you. Yeah, you you own it, baby. You take it. 
Listen, I own that. You own uh, French. What did you call yourself? Like a French Marine? <laughs> we identify ourselves. <laughs> I'm not a French Marine. I'm in a nautical shirt. <laughs> that's right. It's nautical. There's, there's a difference. Uh, that's for you to decide. So thank you so much, Mark. This was a true queer joy for me. Oh, thanks, Trevor. It was fun. You know that I rarely do a podcast, so it was fun. And very fun to talk about this stuff. I love talking about gender and sexuality. Hundred percent. Really great. And being queer. Yeah. I know, I know. You won't shut up about it, Mark. <laughs> I know. We finally go. <laughs> no, I've got no, no, let's go. He's so, at it, it again. Great to see you. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey you two, no, it's fine. And before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Um gosh. At marktixbury.org. Always, <laughs> always marktixbury.org. I don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah, I work for, you know, I, I do work with the Olympic Committee and I do work with a great group called One Young World. Check them mm -hmm. out. But yeah, I, I I didn't come prepared to plug. I didn't prepare to play. Oh my, <laughs> how can I fault that? God bless. What a wit. So yeah, that's marktixbury.org. You got it. Or Not O R G. Gov. No, or organization, Not baby. edu. Dot com. That's, too, too, too that's right. It's definitely not CA because he <laughs> is org. So go there, follow him, support him. Thank you so much, Mark. And I want to say I was very queer when this conversation started and talking to you has made me queerer than ever. Me too. Right back at you, baby. Beautiful. My work here is done. Take care. Bye. Bye. Queer, queer, queer. Queer, 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 queer. Queer, 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 queer. And that is our sportiest show ever. It might have been our sportiest show ever. As always, you can email me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. It's an email. I check it. The rest is herstory. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, it's very important. I check those. And when I don't see a new star, I uh, don't give myself dessert. <laughs> so let me have dessert. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And now, Sean Ben Beaton Q Credit. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our engineer, who I just mentioned, is Sean Ben Beaton. Hi, Sean. Our theme song is by Critty. For more from music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. Our gold medals can be... Just kidding, I don't have any. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.